0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CXCast. Sam Stern, joined as always by my colleague, Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everyone. We are very excited to have a special guest from far, far away, Jason Bradshaw, who is the chief customer officer at VW Australia. Hi, Jason.
1: Hi there, Sam and Jenny. It's so great to be here with you today.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us. And Jason, we are excited to talk to you. I had the pleasure of meeting you a few months back and talking to you and some of your colleagues about some of the customer experience work you're doing at VW Australia. And we are really interested to hear your story, your journey here. And I'm wondering, I guess, maybe to start, tell us about how you sort of got into this field, because in our experience, almost everyone who is a chief customer officer or customer experience executive has a unusual usual starting point to their journey where they entered this field that really just started to emerge in the last decade or so
1: a little bit different, uh, I guess, to other people you would have had on the show. And that at the age of 12 years of age, I was reading small business magazines and and books like In Pursuit of Wow by Tom Peters. And at 14, I decided to start my own business selling a range of computer and telecommunications equipment. Now, that might sound to the listeners that I was this, you know, gung-ho entrepreneur. But uh, in actual fact, the reason I started doing it was I just wanted to have the latest and shiniest gadgets that were coming out. And uh, I figured it made more sense to buy them at wholesale price than it did at
0: retail. So and, you, were doing, uh, you were doing it for the company discount? <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right, that I was giving myself. Uh, <laughs> and to fund the purchase, I had to sell the product. And I was interviewed on Australia's Coast to Coast A Current Affair show, funny enough, called A Current Affair, and appeared in a number of publications at that time. And I was asked this same question, or a similar question really, what's going to make me different mm. to my competitors? I did have the backing of a multinational by any stretch of the imagination. But when I was asked the question, I said, well, I can't compete on price and I never want to compete on price. I'm going to compete on service. And there's this line in what I now think is a horrific interview, looking back at myself at 14 years of age on national TV. (laughs) Um, The the hairstyle at 14 is a little bit different uh, to the (laughs) one now and a lot more hair. But what I said was that you know, if a customer rings me, even if it's at three o'clock in the morning, they deserve the same level of service that I would give them if they rang me during the middle of the day or words to that effect. And I really took that as the starting blocks to what ultimately has become a lifetime career and a passion to make a difference for people that I work with, that I have the pleasure of serving and the communities that I operate in. And whether it's customers or employees, the old adage is true. They remember how you make them feel. That's really what customer and employee experiences about. And since those humble beginnings at 14 years of age, I've had the pleasure of working in telecommunications and media and entertainment, health, even a stint in government, big box retail, and uh, of course now with Volkswagen Group Australia, one of the world's largest automotive groups. And in every instance, customer and employee experiences won the day. And ultimately it led me to write a book about my journey and and the things that have worked or perhaps not worked along that
0: journey. We hear this sometimes, and so I'll be curious to compare it to your experience That, you know, customer experience matters maybe for this consumer business or this, you know, more competitive industry business, but not for our industry or not for our business. Is that something that's come up in your travels?
1: I've heard that uh, many a time, even funny enough, in jobs that I've had held with organization where my title has been, you know, head of customer experience, I've had people with inside my own organization say to me, oh, does it really matter? Um, always
2: promising. Yeah, right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Th-
0: thank yeah, you well, for asking do, if my change. job needs to exist.
1: <laughs> exactly right. But I think that talks a little bit to the profession. Because it is still in that stage of becoming a professionalization, it really is transformative. So often. And my role has been to hold up the so-called mirror and say to the company, is this what we want to be known for? So to get back to your question, Sam, around, you know, is this a industry-specific gig, you know, like hotels or restaurants or something like that? I have to say no. And in thinking about this question, I came to the realization that there's one company or one group globally that really dispels this myth. And that would have to be the virgin group of companies. Mm. If you think about Richard Branson, he has differentiated in almost every sector and maybe not always successfully. He has publicly had some things not go as well as he would like, but for the most part, outstanding success. Trains, cable TV, airlines, and importantly, not just one type of airline operation, you know, international. Domestic. I don't know whether in America you ever had it, but in the UK and here in Australia, he even had a soda, a line of soda banking and finance products. And in every industry that they play in, They want to differentiate themselves by the experiences that they deliver and, of course, be a little bit cheaper in most instances along the way as well. But their key selling point is actually around that experience point. They look at things slightly differently. Virgin Hotels, which have just started to open up in the US, uh, it's a new venture, I believe. And one of the things that they're becoming famous for really quickly is that their minibar prices are the same price as what you'd pay at the 7-Eleven, which, you know... There's someone in accounting going, oh my gosh, they're a captive audience. You could make 100% more profit, but that small difference means that they have all this free marketing uh, mm-hmm. with everyone talking about it. You know, Jay Bear would talk about talk triggers. Well, I think this is uh, perhaps Virgin Hotels' biggest talk trigger: is that everyone gets a pleasant surprise that when they want that bottle of water out of the the minibar at midnight, they're not paying seven dollars for it. They're just, they're paying whatever they'd pay at their, their local 7-Eleven.
0: Yeah, and I will say, I stayed in one of the Virgin Hotels in Chicago, and as long as they're charging enough to make a profit, I had an entirely different minibar behavior because I was rating it hard because it was reasonably priced and convenient <laughs> it's it's in your room right and yes and actually you know that's a good point jenny like what you're used to that price being is not necessarily anchored by Seven Eleven, even though you wish it was it's anchored by other mini bars right. so it does feel like it's a not just a fair price a discounted price in, for at least for, for now and in, in, until and unless other hotels match them
1: perhaps it will start a trend like wi-fi how often True. would you stay in a five-star hotel where wi-fi was an extra thirty dollars a night <laughs> right. uh, and now if it's not complimentary, you're starting to wonder whether they really care about the customer. Marriott's making more money than ever. Like, you know, I, I don't want people to think just because you do something that's complimentary and, and helps deliver a great experience that your profits go the other way. You'd have to say that Marriott's doing better than ever considering that they had the funds to go and acquire SPG groups.
0: Yes, exactly. The free Wi-Fi has not destroyed the hotel business by any means. I, I think that's a really good point though about Virgin as a company. I take it for granted, so I'm glad you pointed it out, that part of their strategy for going into all these different verticals and starting all these new businesses is that the brand comes with an expectation of better service. And so people are willing to give them a chance in that new market even though I've been drinking Coke for 30 years but hey, it's Virgin, I'll try it, you know. I'm loyal to this hotel chain, but you have a good brand and I assume the the service will be good. So I'm willing to give it a try. That's a really powerful way to be able to introduce new products and services to your customers if they already have that expectation that, you know what, I trust these guys. Mm -hmm. They're probably going to do the right thing by me.
1: And I think that's the key, trust. People have learned that the Virgin brand and brands like Amazon, they deliver consistently on their experience promise and therefore they trust it. So even though it may not necessarily be, um, you know, if I think about the hotel industry, it may not be a white glove standard of service that you get, it it will have a uniquely virgin flair to it. Mm -hmm. It's so consistently delivered that people trust it and rely upon it. And that enhances the experience for them because they're, they're not wondering around what lotto of service they're going to win today.
2: So to create that type of service, which is differentiator sold on this idea, it requires companies to make that mind shift, right? To want to invest in customer experience, be willing to make these types of trade-offs, think about how they can really differentiate and improve that experience. As you mentioned earlier, that's some of the work that customer experience professionals have to do. I think you said sort of holding up the mirror to the the organization to look at what they're doing and and what they can be doing there. Do you have any tips or places to start from the experiences you've had doing that at organizations for companies or salespeople within companies who haven't yet made that mind shift?
1: In every company that I've worked in, one of the first things that I've said about doing is defining what we mean by customer and employee experience. Secondly, defining what I call the experience principles. What are those three to six things that the company wants to absolutely nail for its customers Mm -hmm. every single time? And they do this because it unifies the organization behind something. And in my book, it's all about sex, that's C-E-X, or customer and employee experience. I talk about this notion of defining your experience principles, and I give a couple of examples. One of those examples that I give is know who I am. So this goes beyond personalization and doesn't have to be as complicated as that term suggests. You can start by simply using the person's name that they've read on a credit card so that there's a connection with the person as opposed to this vanilla service. Of course, it can go much deeper at a relationship level. And then I talk about perhaps knowledge is important, making sure that your team is knowledgeable about the products and processes so that they can consistently deliver. But whatever those are and it's something that I think organisations need to define for themselves based on what they're wanting to be famous for. But if you are able to nail with every individual in the organization what experience means and the three to six things that you want them to ultimately deliver every time, then you're already miles ahead of your competition. Because most organizations, at least in my experience, even if they're talking a customer experience game or an employee experience one, they haven't taken the first step to define what they mean by it. And I could ask both of you today, what does customer experience mean? there would be differences in your answers. Now, I'm guessing because you work so closely together and you're part of Forrester, they would be very similar. But sure. in a step, you know, in, in a room of 100 people, generally, you'll get 100 different answers. And the first step, therefore, is to define what do all 100 people need to be working on when we think customer experience. And then for me, those experience principles, they start to become that internal mirror. So if one of your experience principles is, I care, have you Defined what that means for everyone so that when they're doing something, you can simply say, How are you demonstrating care in this instance? Yeah. It becomes that instant mirror in the organization and a, and a common language which unifies people.
0: You're raising a really good point here about a definition of customer experience, something about like I care or know me if I'm a customer saying that, that is still vague enough, all of those terms, that you really need clarity around what that looks like when it's done well because there's a version of know me that is creepy and that I, I'm i like, why do you know that about me? Or why are you you know, showing that you know me before I've even sort of opened up this interaction with you? And then there's a version that is familiar and comfortable and relaxed, that puts me at ease. And same with care. There's care where it's overbearing and it's too much. There's care where it's not really how I would want to be cared for. And, you know, back to your your point about the personalization, or there's care where it seems genuine and it seems, you know, to come at the right moment when I actually need someone to be caring for me or I'm in a difficult situation, and it's all about the nuance of that. And so I think to your point, the guidance to employees is such an important part of getting that right. Not only having the common language, but also the clarity around what this means for us to deliver to our customers.
1: Absolutely. And you find in companies that get it right, didn't get it right overnight. Mm. They set the foundations of what right looked like and then spent years in many instances changing the culture one step at a time. And I've worked in organizations where I've had my leader say to me, we need a 10-point bump in NPS tomorrow. And he may not have figuratively meant or literally meant that we get a 10-point overnight. He definitely meant that come all stops, get the increase right. There's ways organizations do that, but organizations that sustain an experience that actually becomes a differentiator for them aren't about those short-term improvements that get a result for a short period of time. They're about making those incremental cultural changes that embed a way of working that builds consistency. And through that consistency, the results come, trust that The organization is going to deliver on its promises, come with customers. And as a result of all of that, not only do they retain more customers, those loyal customers start to talk more positively about those organizations. I've seen this. Within organizations, so you know many large organizations will have divisions. Now, it might be the consumer division and the enterprise division and the government division. And I've seen within one of those silos where the silo has become obsessed about delivering for their customers in a consistent way, and that division, moving much faster, than their brothers and sisters in other departments in terms of growth. That has come not overnight, but there's that tipping point where the customers just know that you're the people to go to when they want that consistent experience, that consistent delivery, and the growth comes with that.
0: You uh, wowed us into silence here as Jenny and I ponder our next question. Okay, so the title of your book is It's All About Sex ceX and that's customer and employee experience so on the employee experience side of the equation how do you think about that as you know the experience for the employee just this is where they come and spend most of their waking hours and you know it needs to be pleasant or you know they need to have the, the equipment to do their jobs and colleagues who are supportive versus the experience for them delivering the experience for the customer? Are those two completely intertwined? Do you think of one coming before the other? Am I getting this backwards? How do you think about that? The, you know, the employee experience is the employee is the subject and the employee experience with the employee providing an experience to the customer.
1: Earlier, I mentioned that I had a boss. I think you know many of our listeners will have worked for someone at some point that has said, no, get me that 10-point NPS improvement or right. get me that score quickly. And one of the ways organizations do that is to turn around and say to their employees, if I get a bump in this score, in this metric, you'll all get a bonus. You'll all get paid for getting the score. And so, of course, everyone, at least the first time you do it, turns around, gets really motivated. You get the score, everyone gets the bonus and they're happy because they got the bonus. But of course, once you've got the score, no one wants it to go backwards and you start this vicious cycle of paying for a score. And yourself, uh, Sam and, and Mac have done some great research in this space. It sounds familiar. Um, yeah. <laughs> it
2: does sound to familiar. Over here. Yes, I agree.
1: <laughs> and what we find is in those organizations, or at least what I believe in those organizations that take that approach they're not actually caring about the employee experience to the extent that they need to Mm. to deliver naturally the customer outcome or that customer experience that they're looking for. And so while I believe that employee experience and customer experience is equally as important as each other, if you don't focus on improving the employee experience, if you don't have a great culture, then there is no way you can have a sustained positive customer experience because there'll be no intrinsic push inside of everyone in the organization to go that extra 1% or that extra mile, if that's what's needed, to make sure that that customer is is still an advocate at the end of the call, at the store visit, whatever the interaction might be. And for me, that's why employee experience is absolutely fundamental to our customer work. And there's heaps of research out there that shows that those companies that have highly engaged employees, those employees that have great experiences, they have lower turnover, they have greater commitment to company goals, and all of that falls into better experiences for customers. I do say in the book, though, you shouldn't just focus on one or the other, which might seem a little bit at end at what I just said, because I think if you just come out with, we're going to spend the next three years focusing on our employee experience, well, that will translate in some ways to a customer experience. It won't translate to a consistent customer experience because you won't have defined what it is you're trying to deliver externally and potentially internally. So I say that if an organization can't, it should invest 50% of its time and resources from a transformation point, at least on the employee experience and also the customer piece. And for me, there's so much overlap. Like if I think about the experience principle I mentioned earlier, know me or know who I am, whatever words the company chooses to use. As an employee, I want my manager to know me. I want them to understand Mm -hmm. how I can deliver the best that I possibly can and not treat me like the guy or the girl that sits in the cubicle next to me. Just like a customer, I don't want to be treated like the last person that they served or the next one that's coming through, right? So right. for me, those experience principles are not uh, necessarily different based on the cohort. In really great organizations, they're the same. They're just applied slightly differently.
0: Yeah. And I really like your point that you have to address the employee experience to be taking customer experience as seriously as a lot of these companies want to say that they are. If you are not including that in the CX transformation equation, giving employees the experience they need to really not be distracted by frustrating technology or broken processes, then it's incumbent upon you to include that in what you're doing. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I actually think you know, the way you were framing it is if you just focus on employee experience for three years, one of the beautiful things about customer experience is it gives an outlet of of meaning, of purpose to the work that more employees do. So to your point, not only are we trying to improve the experience for you, but we're really connecting you to this real value, this difference you're making in your work, which is a big factor in engaging employees and and making it a great place to come and work and be inspired every day.
1: Absolutely, and you know, I often worry about organisations that do take that approach—that we're just going to work on the employee experience for for three years, and then we will be done. What does that say to your employee? Oh, we've had this three-year transformation project about us, and well, now that's over, so we no longer matter. Uh, of course, <laughs> of right. course, that's not what the organisation is trying to send as a message. But I do think when organisations take this project-based approach to employees and customers, uh, as opposed to making it a way of operating that we send to our team and to our customers unintended messages which ultimately can undo the process or undo the will of the program. How many times have people who are listening to this podcast heard someone say, let's just outlive that program or that boss that we
0: have? This too shall pass and we can go back to doing whatever we were doing before. Yes. So um, Jason, you referenced in in talking about the, the connection between employee experience and customer experience, the importance of doing those together, the idea that, you know, if you want to make a 1% improvement in the experience, you need to be looking at both. Now, if I'm listening to this and hearing we're going to get a 1% improvement out of all these efforts, that doesn't sound like that much. Can you help us understand the importance of a 1% improvement?
1: Yeah, so it's important with anything that we do that goals are achievable. And 1% just seems so achievable to me. If you say to someone, can you be 1% better tomorrow? For the most part, I think 100% of people are going to say... Absolutely, because it's not outside of their grasp. Now, if you said to the very same group of people, can you be 10% better tomorrow? Some of them would be bold and go, absolutely. You know, they're the people that want to be first across the finish line every single time. But my worry is that it wouldn't be sustainable because the effort to get that lift would be artificial. And then, of course, you've got other people that would be demotivated. Oh, how Mm. could I possibly ever get to 10%? I'm struggling to deliver what I delivered today. So that 1% really comes out of the notion, what can you do tomorrow that's better than what you did today? And uh, the easiest way I know how to wrap that up is around that 1%. And and you're right, Sam. No, improving 1% in a year, probably not going to have a Big impact to the organization or maybe to the customers, at least notionally, it doesn't sound like it's going to. But if you take a step back and go, well, what if I'm 1% better every single day? Then that's going to make a huge impact over the course of a year to an organization. You know, if we removed one step from our processes that didn't add value to our customers or our employees every single day. By the end of the year, you'd have 365 individual steps in processes removed that was holding the company back from being efficient, holding the company back from getting employees out from bureaucracy and process it in front of customers, and 365 steps closer to improving the consistency of delivery to customers. That sounds pretty phenomenal to me. This is a Forrester podcast, so uh, I feel like I um, uh, need to reference uh, some more work from you guys. Uh, but the, the reality is, uh, yourselves and you know, a whole range Organizations out there have done research into what a one point improvement in you know, Net Promoter Score would achieve um, in organizations. And you know, I'm not going to talk to your research in great detail because I'm going to misquote some of it, but you know, a one point improvement in a customer result can put tens of millions of dollars to the bottom line and hundreds of millions of dollars to an industry. And that's just one point. Uh, you know, I, I spoke at an internal conference earlier this year and I borrowed some words from Martin Luther King Jr., and I said that we should rage against indifference. We need to rage against those people that are indifferent to this notion of customer employee experience. We need to rage against indifference for making a difference today compared to the one we did yesterday. Because when we do, we can take our lion's share, some might say an unfair share, of the benefits of looking after customers and employees. No one said to any organization that they only have to improve their customer and employee metrics by 1%. So if you do it by 10, well, Some might say that's unfair to your competitors, but no one stopped them from doing the same as you go forth and rage against indifference and be the difference that will take you and your company further. And for me, that starts with being 1% better every single day.
2: That's That's great. Yeah. (laughs) Who exactly in the organization is going to pick up on it? Because if everyone in the organization is 1% better, if all customer experiences become 1% better, that's a win. But as we know, in many organizations, this is going to start in one pocket of the organization or there will be someone who is gold on making this 1% improvement happen in certain pockets. What do you see as some best practices or examples of organizational rollouts of these principles?
1: What's worked well for me in many industries is the somewhat unrelenting obsession for reinforcing key messages and absolutely heroing mm-hmm. as widely across the organization as you can, those that are absolutely nailing it and those that are making great improvements. And so what I mean by that is, if you think about TV campaign, marketers will measure what's the recall rate on a TV campaign. Well, it's no different to transformational change internally. How often do organizations get up, do that big presentation, maybe held an all-staff conference, all-team member conference, and they'll put up some Great buzzwords. This is what we mean by customer experience. Here's the five experience principles, and you've got to deliver those every day. If you're just one percent better tomorrow than you were today, we're going to win the prize, whatever the prize is. And then everyone goes back to their desk, gets on with their job. If you're really lucky, there might be some posters put up on the wall <laughs> uh, for, for some with the new wallpaper. But what I think works is yes, you've you've got to do those big statement pieces but you have to continually reinforce those statement pieces. So let me give you a really practical example. When I started at Volkswagen Group Australia, One of the first things that I did was, funny enough, define what we mean by experience Mm. and our experience principles. And then every single month for the next 12 months, there was a piece of communication that landed in different modes, so posters, letters, podcasts, face-to-face meetings, just to name a few, that focused on each of those elements so that it didn't matter when you started with the organization. In that 12-month period, you were going to hear the message multiple times. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, he rode those individuals across the organization that had started the journey and were getting some wins. Three and a half years on, coming into my fourth year at, at Volkswagen Group Australia, people still hear me talking about the experience principles. People still see me heroing those that are doing it really well. And importantly we haven't changed the strategy. Of course, we've made some tweaks and refinements, but the strategy to improve the employee and customer experience hasn't changed because you have to embed it. And if we were to do what some others do where they change the strategy every couple of years, well, people would get lost in that. So for me, those transformational programs that last and have the biggest impacts are those that aren't about just one mode of connecting with people. It's about constantly reinforcing the messages, demonstrating the outcomes of that focus, upskilling, reskilling people around those focuses so that there is as much recall and as much in the DNA of the day to day as there possibly can be. It's also why I think it's important as CX professionals that we link our work to the in- return on investment for organizations because. There are, unlike accounting where you can be audited and it's black and white whether you met the accounting standards or not, this profession is sometimes seen as the nice to do. So if you can link that back to return on investment, you hook more and more people in. So if you've got those that are purely commercial driven, that they see that it's beyond just hugging your customer or hugging your team member. And that's an important part. You know, Every opportunity I get, I reinforce that there is a Positive uplift in our financial performance as a result of our uplift in customer and employee experience. And it can be as simple as, you know, the cost of recruitment. We have improved retention across our network by over 20 points. Now, that has a significant impact on the cost of doing business because all of a sudden you're not doing the, all that recruitment. That comes down to the bottom line impact. And great organizations don't just look at customer experiences this nice to do or employee experiences are nice to do. They absolutely link it to the financial health of the organization.
0: Yeah, I think that's very well said. It's great to cite those types of tangible benefits you've seen and to quantify them, right? So the fact that you know that you have a 20-point increase in retention across the dealer network, you know, I think tangibly people can feel how hard it is to find staff. And I, I think Australia is in a similar situation to the States right now. We're low unemployment environments. So people are not shy about job hopping. So if you can retain more of your people, retain more of the people you want to retain, that's worth a lot of money. It saves you a lot of cost and time and headache and backfill people having to work two jobs, uh, all of that pain in the bargain. So I think you're right that that makes a really compelling argument. Jason, the other thing I think that you highlighted there that I think is important to underline is the showing up every day and, you know, or every month and repeating the message and being consistent and being sustained in that impact is sort of a precondition for getting that ongoing 1% incremental improvement over a long enough basis that it really adds up and it's worth something, right? So you showing up in that way and other CX professionals showing up in that way consistently over time again and again and again, you know, not with the exact same delivery of the message, but repeating many of the same words. So it becomes something, it's a mantra, it's something that people can remember. That's what helps helps them really connect to it and integrate it into what they do and how they do it and have it become an ongoing habit. So I think this is a really good practical tip for how do you get that ongoing, sustained, incremental improvement. It's by being there yourself, showing up in that same consistent way over time. Well, Jason, this has been really insightful, and we're glad to have you on here. Thank you for joining us. Listeners, we'll post links to some of the research Jason was referencing. Forrester's will also post a link to his book. It's all about sex, C-E-X, that is, The Essential Guide to Customer and Employee Experience. I was just quickly browsing the US Amazon site, Jason, and you've got all five-star reviews. So it's already off to a very good start here. Kudos to you there. And um, we'd love to have you back sometime, on CXCast. So maybe we can do this again in the future.
1: Fantastic. I'd certainly love to be back on CXCast. Shout out to everyone in the US that has purchased a copy of the book. And thanks to Forrester for our great partnership over the years.
0: Well, it's been great getting to know you better, collaborating with you. And thank you again for joining us, Jason. And listeners, we'll talk to you all next week on CXCast. Goodbye for now. Thanks to our colleagues, Amanda Chen, for recording and mixing the episode, and Will Wilsey for editing and publishing. And listeners, if you have questions, feedback, comments, or suggestions for new episodes, please email us at cxcast at And remember, your customers' perceptions are your customer experience reality.